Welcome to Laser Focus, a podcast that takes you on the journey of discovery with the leaders that are changing the world with new design and revolutionizing how we think of advanced manufacturing. I'm your host, Rina Youssef, CMO and Brand Disruptor at Velo3D. Today, I'm speaking with Ellen Malloy, Manager of Manufacturing Engineering at Hermes. Ellen developed an interest in STEM from a young age and received a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Notre Dame and a Master of Science in Mechanical Engineering from North Carolina State University. Prior to her work at Hermes, Ellen has held various roles at GE Power, including Additive Manufacturing Engineer and Accessories Fluid Systems Engineer. Ellen is constantly in search of exciting new technologies, and today we'll hear more about the exciting processes Hermes is embracing, like robotic sheet forming and direct energy deposition. Welcome to the show, Alan. I'm really excited to have you here. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey so far. I'm currently living in Atlanta, working at Hermes Corporation. Started out with my bachelor's degree from the University of Notre Dame, graduated in 2018, and then actually started my career only a couple hours north of Atlanta in South Carolina. So I was working at GE Power in their Edison Engineering Development Program, which is really cool because no one from my family is an engineer. So it was nice to have the flexibility of a rotational program like that, where I got to try out a couple different types of engineering professions before I was actually had to select which one I wanted to do. So that was a really cool experience. From there, I ended up really falling in love with manufacturing, and that was where I ended up. Moving on from there was actually how I ended up in, in L.A. previous to Hermes. I was at ABL Space Systems. I'm setting up their manufacturing, specifically like added in CNC manufacturing, which is computer numerical machining. And then almost I'll be at Hermes two years in October. And so started at Hermes October of 2021, also on their like additive side and have come to now be the manufacturing manager here at Hermes. And we are integrating our aircraft here in Atlanta for rollout and testing. It's been a really cool journey over the past two years. It's very cool. But you said something that really stood out. Like, so nobody in your family is in engineering. So what drew you to engineering? My immediate family is all very finance focused. So I actually had a really unique teacher in high school. I will always remember her name, Renee Perry, if she is ever listening to this podcast. She was my absolute favorite teacher of all time. She was my like AP physics teacher. She was a mechanical engineer by degree and had actually become a teacher to have a family and have a little bit more flexibility, but was kind of looked at at my skill set and from talking with me and, and working with me in class was kind of like, have you ever thought of, you know, mechanical engineering as a degree? And I was kind of like, no, I had never really thought about it. I didn't really know what it meant to be a mechanical engineer or like an engineer really at all. You know, you kind of only see what your parents or your family like the spaces that they work in and, and understanding what that looks like for your own career. So I hadn't really thought about it until she she said something and I was like, okay. And so I ended up applying, like all the schools I applied to, I applied for the engineering program specifically. We had another guest on the show in season one who had a teacher that sort of drew him into engineering and they've stayed friends till now. He's his mentor and he's like in his maybe 40s. What was it about Renee that really stays with you to this day? I really admired her. She was like a very strong, like female character in my life. She was probably one of the smartest people I've ever met just because you actually have to know the subject that you're working in or familiar with deeper to be able to then teach it to others. And I thought she to this day has been the best teacher that I've ever had in terms of taking something that is super complex like physics and being able to 
describe it to someone who has no background whatsoever in that topic other than, you know, some of the math and things that they've learned along the way. I really admired her like ability to communicate her her strength as like a female and a female engineer. And I to this day, she has been by far the best like teacher that I've ever had. Do you think it's, she was also a role model and now that you're in, a woman in engineering that you feel like you need to follow in those steps? <laughs> Maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in high school at the time, but still it's very rare, I think, to have STEM leaders, especially a woman in STEM as like a guide to the younger generation that's coming up through you know, middle school, high school, college. 99% of my professors in college were male. So I think it's pretty unique to not only have like a STEM mentor, but another like woman in STEM or female in STEM to look up to. Do you think there is a barrier of entry to teaching engineering? I think it's harder. It can be harder for women in STEM fields and in engineering just because it is so male dominated and has been. But I don't think necessarily there's a barrier to entry in, into teaching. I think the barrier to entry to teaching is really about how you communicate and how well you know the subject and if you're able to communicate it in a way that others can understand. And you almost have to be able to grab the subject in multiple different ways because everyone also learns very differently. So I think it's a barrier to entry in that in terms of the level of technical detail that you have to know and also like your communication style. <laughs> Has that communication style that you learned from her helped you as a manager now, especially manufacturing? <laughs> Being a manager is mostly about communication. It is about the technical stuff, obviously, right, too. But I think more of it is how to grow a team, how to build something together and being able to cross those boundaries and, and communicate on a level of understanding of everyone is definitely challenging. I've learned most about my own communication style and how to communicate to a team and to others through my experiences at Hermes and ABL in particular uh, of what I need to do, how I can be better, how I can communicate better with my team. But definitely, I think like being a leader is, is a lot about how we communicate with each other and how we communicate with others. So we talked about what drew you to engineering. What about aviation? Can you tell us the moment or why and what drew you into aviation? This one's always kind of a, an interesting question for me because I am not really married, I would say, to a particular like discipline or avenue of engineering. I, I So I've kind of jumped around. GE was power generation focused. ABL was aerospace rocket world. Hermes is obviously aviation. So I, I usually answer this question by saying I am more interested in, in manufacturing and manufacturing methods in general and, and almost less about the specific area of, of interest in question. And I'm kind of have set up, you know, I'm always chasing down the next coolest thing on the manufacturing front, whether that be in power generation, whether it be in rockets, aerospace or aviation, and kind of finding what cool problems people are trying to solve manufacturing wise across multiple disciplines of, of engineering. Okay, so on that, right, so you just mentioned that you're drawn to different types of manufacturing processes. Can you tell us a bit about the manufacturing technologies Hermes uses and if there's any pros and cons of each? I think what's interesting about Hermes is they kind of taking a unique approach to it of we're looking at what's on the horizon, what's next for manufacturing, but also what's going to get us the most learnings that we can the fastest. So something that we are doing the traditional way, we have a, an internal CNC machine shop, which is nothing new to manufacturing. We have welding on staff, you know, sheet metal forming, things like that. But I would say we're also we're doing both sides of that coin of we're 
getting really honed in on our internal processes of some of the traditional manufacturing methods, but also dipping our toe into the waters of some new and, and interesting technologies on the horizon as well. One of those being additive is a, is a good example of that. We do have our own internal powder bed printers, and then we also have our own direct energy deposition printer as well, which DED or the direct energy deposition process, I would say, is more new and up and coming, less production ready and production friendly, more in the development phase of its life. And then we're also working outside of just internal Hermia specific capabilities. We're also working with external suppliers, a couple of which we're working with robotic sheet forming. And then we're also working with like large powder blown DED vendors as well. So a couple internal, a couple external resources, but trying to at least make sure that kind of have our bases covered in terms of material properties that we need for the plane, um, as well as integratability and manufacturability and how we're actually going to put the plane together with the parts that we have and the materials that they need to be made in. So Ellen, you mentioned robotic sheet forming, which is quite a new technology. Can you maybe explain how it works? Yeah, for sure. The robotic sheet forming process that we're working with specifically is they're able to actually robotically form very hardened alloys. So what most folks would think of as non-easily formable alloys, what you think of as your inconels and your titaniums and a lot of those very hardened materials. And they're actually able to stretch the sheet between two vices, so to speak. And they actually have a robot coming in from each side to actually bend out and form out the material to the geometry that is sent to them. So there's a lot of back-end technology going on in terms of like how to program the robots and then a lot of cold working of the material itself. So it's a very unique process. It's very hard to hone in. There's a lot of development that is upfront of that effort. You don't just throw two robots at a piece of metal and you get your first part. There's a very large development and upfront development process that's involved in that to get your final product. And then a lot of testing that you have to do on the back end too to make sure that the material is actually usable and meeting the material requirements that we set out for it to meet. It's been a unique and, and interesting project to work on and definitely something that I had never thought of or heard of in college. It's very fun to be able to work with those types of companies and to have that opportunity. There's so many different types of manufacturing processes and technologies. Like, how do you go about staying ahead of the curve or even like knowing about all these new technologies? And then how do you think about what is applicable and what is right for Hermes? What is that process like? It's twofold. I think part of it is it's hiring engineers that are hungry and always on the horizon. They're always on LinkedIn. They're always looking for the next best thing and they're always curious. So I think it's like maintaining a high recruiting bar of engineering curiosity is, is one way to combat that. And then we have a person at Hermes dedicated to new technologies. Their entire function here is to make sure that we're not the last on the boat in terms of new manufacturing methods and technologies. And then they are gathering inputs from teams. They're looking at the new technologies and seeing where those two things align. And then also looking at, hey, this is a really cool technology, but it's going to take us years and years potentially to develop. So if we want to use it 10 years from now, we need to be working on this type of thing now. And that kind of unlocks those types of conversations that we can start to have around all of these different manufacturing methods, all of the different applications of them, where that cross-section occurs at Hermes, and then when we might need to bring that on in terms of schedule. But yeah, I think it's definitely super important to maintain a pulse on, on new technology. And I think, yeah, you can do that through curious engineers, just trying to figure out what's next and what's coolest, but also having someone dedicated to that space and making sure that we're, we're staying ahead of the game. So what about Hermes? What excites you most about working for Hermes with hypersonic space travel? 
I think what excites me most about Hermias, though, is really the culture here. Specifically, I think we've built a unique company and a unique company culture where there's people here. Obviously, it's a startup, so you're wearing many hats and you have a, a high amount of accountability and you're really able to make decisions within your own domain and, and discipline. And you're able to actually work through some like unique problems as a company and as a small company. And I think being able to be a part of creating that culture where we can succeed and make a hypersonic plane is actually harder than actually making the hypersonic plane. So it's actually pretty fun to be a part of those like growth conversations and, and how do we scale the business? How do we do things successfully? How do we think about growing a team? How do we think about company culture? And those types of things are harder to nail down almost than it is the actual engineering. But to be a part of that, to then see the engineering start to flourish is a pretty unique spot to, to be in and not something I think that everyone gets the opportunity to be a part of. What does the future of hypersonic flight look like in your opinion? In my opinion, I think a hypersonic flight is definitely on the horizon. I think the future of hypersonic flight is really, it, it is like years away, I think, from being a reality, but I think especially the way, in my opinion, like Hermes is going about it, taking a stepped approach to the quarter horse program and then the dark horse program and then Halcyon, I think makes sense to me logically. We need a ton of money and a ton of development to go make a passenger aircraft and feel confident putting people on a hypersonic plane. But I think the way that Hermes is going about it personally, it makes a lot of sense in terms of unmanned flight first, get a lot of testing in, get a lot of development done, generate revenue with the Dark Horse program and have the money and the capability and the team to then go make that passenger aircraft. I think it would be foolish to start off assuming we can make a passenger aircraft right away. There's a ton of development effort that still needs to be done in this space. And I think it, it will be a reality. It's just a matter of when. So we hear a lot about the space competition, right? Do, yeah. do you think this is the same in hypersonic flight? Like the space race, is there a hypersonic race? <laughs> it seems to be so. Yeah, I think because so many countries around the world are developing this type of technology, it is almost like a race to the finish and a race to who can get there first. But I think it's interesting to be within that space itself being a part of Hermes, because I do think that there is an aspect to it of is the U.S. going to get there first or is it going to be some other country on the globe? So, yeah, it's a pretty like unique environment and pace of execution to be in. What about the human element of hypersonic flight? Traveling at zero gravity takes a physical toll. Is there something like that, similar effect with hypersonic flight? No, I think the best way to explain this is like the difference between acceleration and velocity. When you're in an aircraft today, you obviously get pushed back in your chair when you first are taking off. There would be obviously a similar, if not a little bit greater pushback of you taking off on a hypersonic plane. But uh, once you meet that steady state, you're able to walk about the plane, you're able to get food, you're able to have a snack. Once you're like cruising at that main altitude, as the pilot always says, you are back at that like steady state environment and you wouldn't feel any different. So what's next for you and what's next for Hermes? My role's been interesting here. Over the like first year I was here was a lot of build out. So we had pretty much an empty factory that was like, we need to build this out for success. And it was a lot of requirements gathering. What do we need to put in the factory to be successful based on the little information we know right now? How can we build this place to be successful? And that was really fun working with a budget, working with a team, building out this space. Uh, and then the last, my like last eight months to a year here has been, now that we have this space and it's fairly well built out, 
what are the processes that we need to be looking at? What are the interactions between teams? How do we actually build an aircraft? What do we care about in integrating an aircraft and manufacturing an aircraft and, and defining those processes and really nailing them down? I think next up on the horizon will be, honestly, probably the most challenging is like scaling. So how do we scale this team and how do we make sure that we're maintaining a high bar of our recruiting talent and we're scaling appropriately and we're setting up the right the right infrastructure and the right processes in place to actually really scale the team to be successful. I'm very interested in how I'm able to uh, hopefully successfully scale the manufacturing team specifically for success and making sure that we are set up and I'm sure we will hit some bumps in the road, but making sure that we have the right infrastructure and the right processes in place to make those bumps a little bit less frustrating for my team specifically. What are you hoping to scale to maybe in the next 12 months? Right now, the manufacturing organization itself is around like 25 folks. We are still working through, honestly, the with the business itself, you know, what that hiring plan looks like. But I think after potentially like our future fundraising rounds that we are like planning on in the future, a lot more hires will open up and specifically in the manufacturing space to build an aircraft or to build really manufacture anything in-house. You need a ton of technician support specifically and a ton of manufacturing support. I think for the company history, we've been pretty slated towards the engineering side, which makes sense. We're trying to figure out how we're going to engineer this plane and how we're going to analyze it, what we care about. And I think now we've come to a precipice of kind of turning the knob more so on the manufacturing and production side. So definitely have on the horizon quite a few hires, especially as we get into later this year and early next year of what resources do we really need to hit the program milestones that we have laid out so that we can be successful. So if you could go back in time, what would you have done differently, if anything, and why? If I were to go back and do things differently, I think one thing that would actually be super beneficial is now that I know more about the requirements of the vehicle that we're trying to make, I think we definitely could have made some different decisions on how we set up the factory. Looking back, you set it up as successfully as you can in the moment, but optimizing for literally people walking back and forth or too many times between one place and the other and like little things like that. I think looking back could have definitely been optimized for better success. But I think those are definitely unique lessons learned that we will take to the future as we add more infrastructure to our own building and move to new and different buildings of what those things were, what we would have changed and why and how we can try to negate that in the future going forward. I think really the if I could go back and do anything differently, it would be probably how we like set up our facility and how we can optimize those like spaghetti diagrams of people walking back and forth. So last question, can you share one piece of advice or insight you've received or learned during your career that you think our listeners could benefit from? Oh, that's a great question. The best piece of advice I've ever received and I would ever give to a young person coming into this field is to definitely speak up. Don't be afraid to speak your mind. I think there's a lot of young talent and young engineers coming up through the ranks and you have good ideas. There's no bad questions. Really, you have to speak your mind. And especially when you're in a situation where you don't agree with the technical decision or the decision that's being made, you really have to speak up or you will regret it forever and ever. Previous in my career and in college, I was a very quiet person. I didn't speak up. I didn't ask questions in class. And I, I do think it was like slightly to my detriment. I think it, it's super important. And especially as a woman in STEM to speak your mind and not not let anyone steamroll you and make sure that your your voice is truly heard you will forever be 
frustrated and resentful if you are not able to speak up your mind, especially at work and really in, in any career and career path is to make sure that you're communicating and you're communicating effectively. That's all we have for today. I really appreciated your time and it was great to finally meet you and I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, same. This was really fun. It was truly inspiring to hear Ellen's career journey and what's coming up next for Hermias. One of my favourite parts of my conversation with Ellen was hearing how her high school physics teacher ignited her passion for engineering. This illustrates the importance of having strong STEM mentors for younger generations. Representation and guidance are crucial to encouraging further diversity in engineering and other STEM fields. I also loved hearing about innovation at Hermias. Its clear technologies like robotic sheet forming and DAD are revolutionizing aerospace engineering. That and the atmosphere of leadership, learning and teamwork that Hermias is fostering seems to be propelling the startup towards the future. At hypersonic speeds, of course. Thank you for listening to Laser Focused. You can find new episodes every two weeks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and leave a review to help more listeners find us. I'm Renette Youssef, and this has been Laser Focused, brought to you by Velo3D, where together we innovate without compromise. 